Your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Your righteousness is like the mountains of God. Your judgments are like the great deep. Man and beast you save, O Lord. How precious is your steadfast love, O God. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your delights. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light do we see light. Those are verses 5 to 9 of Psalm 36, which along with Psalm 39 are the psalms appointed for today, Tuesday, July the 12th, 2022. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. We're continuing to look at the book of Joshua, chapter 2, verses 15 to 24, the gospel according to Matthew, chapter 25, verses 14 to 30, and in Paul's letter to the church at Rome, chapter 11, verses 13 to 24. So remember yesterday, we we had Joshua sending the spies into the land. They go into Jericho, and they stay at Rahab's house, and and, uh, she tells them that they've dreaded this moment for 40 years. They heard right from the beginning that God dried up the Red Sea and then the defeat of the Amorite kings, Sihon and Og, and and we have been waiting for you to get here, and we've lived in fear and dread of you during this entire period of time. So she tells them this, and then the remember the pursuers, the men that the king of Jericho sent, have gone out looking for these uh, two spies, and so now she lets them down by a rope through the window. And the reason for that would be twofold, right? I mean, the one is you don't want them going through the city, but the other side of it is we were already told that the gates had been closed because they they closed the gates of cities at night in order to protect the city from an invasion or whatever. So we know the gates had already been closed by the time she does all these things. And so she lets them down by a rope through a window for her house was built into the city wall so that she lived in the wall. And, And that would have been for protection, in, in large measure, that they would have been that they would have built um, dwellings and other kinds of structures into the city wall, and so she now lets them down by a rope uh, outside the city, and she said to them, "Go into the hills, or the pursuers will encounter you and hide there three days until the pursuers have returned." So go in the opposite direction. They've gone towards the Jericho. They've gone down toward the plain. You into the hills because they're not going to look for you in the hills. Uh, and in three days they'll come back, and then afterward you may go on your way. The men said to her, we'll be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that you have made us swear. It, what they're saying is you swore, we swore an oath to you that we wouldn't do any harm to you or your family if you kept your promise to us not to give us away and not to let us get caught. Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down, and you shall gather into your house your father and mother, your brothers, and all your father's household. So if you tie that cord in the window and let it down... In the same way that you've just now let us down by this rope, if you'll tie that there, then we'll know that, that we'll leave you alone. We will keep our promise to you. We, they've made a covenant promise with her. Then if anyone goes out the doors of your house into the street, his blood will be on his own head and we'll be guiltless. So if they don't stay in the house, we can't, we can't protect them. But if they stay in the house, then everything will be fine. But if a hand is laid on on anyone who is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head. We'll take responsibility for that. But if you tell this business of ours, then we're guiltless with respect to your oath that you made us swear. It's they, they said, look, if you tell anybody about this, if you tell anybody that we've been here, if you give us away and give away the game, then, then the oath is done. There, there's no holding us to the oath if you don't keep your side of it. It's the way the covenant worked, right? It's not the way the covenant with Israel worked because it was only afterwards, 
after God made the covenant by, by the smoking pot going through the pieces of the animals that, that uh, Abraham had cut up, only then did Abraham take the sign of the covenant on himself. It was after the covenant ceremony. So the covenant is completely dependent on God's faithfulness. Same with us. It's built on God's faithfulness. doesn't mean we don't have a part to play. We need to continue to be faithful. We need to continue to believe and live like we believe. Both those things at the same time. So here, that's what he's saying is, is, is that, hey, you, you can annul the covenant by, by not keeping the covenant promise not to give us, give us away. And she said, according to your words, so, so be it. Then she sent them away and they departed and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. So it was already there. They went, she said, preemptively, I'm going to go ahead and put this here right now. I don't want to have to think about this later and do it then. They departed and went into the hills and remained there three days until the pursuers returned, and the pursuers searched all along the way and found nothing. Then the two men, the spies, returned, returned to the camp of Israel. They came down from the hills and passed over and came to Joshua, the son of Nun, and they told him all that had happened to them. And they said to Joshua, Truly the Lord has given this land into our hands, and also, by the way, the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. So before, our hearts melted within us, because of the size of the inhabitants of the land, and now we're telling you that the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. So God has preserved them. God's now going to bring them into the land in spite of their own failure to have, have and keep faith with him in the wilderness during the, the period when they decided they wouldn't go into the land because they didn't trust him. And again, here we come into another parable that Jesus is going to tell about our responsibility as Christians. And how we see and understand God and understand all that God gives us. In every single way, this is true. For it'll be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. So he looked at each person, treated them individually based on what he knew of these servants, and gave them what he believed they were capable of carrying out a trust relationship with. Then he went away. He who had received... The five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So he proved that the trust that the master had put in him was, was valid. It was, it was well earned. So he also, who had the two talents, made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and had it hit his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of the, those servants came and settled accounts with him. And who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I've made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I'll set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. So he's a very magnanimous man. He is encouraging them, and he is also speaking well of them, good and faithful, well done, good job, good and faithful servant. And I'll give you a promotion because you've been faithful over what you've been given. I'll give you a promotion, and now I want you to enter into the joy of the master, which would mean that he's going to share in this, this uh, profit that he's made. And he also, who had the two talents, came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I've made two talents more. And he said exactly the same thing to him. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I'll set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Now, I want to stop here for just a second before we go on to this last guy, because what I want you to see is the character of this man. He trusted these servants, and he, and he treated them as individuals. He looked at what, they were, what he believed they were capable of doing, and he gave them according to their own ability. What, the way he assessed them, he gave them exactly what he believed that they could handle. 
And so the Lord does with us. We all don't have the same capacity, you know, but, but it is, are you faithful with what you've been given? Right. So are you jealous because somebody has something more, you know, in the church world? It could be, OK, so did, did God make you a pastor over many people or did he make you a pastor over a few people? Can he trust you with those people? What do you personally have the capacity for? There are some people who, who, who wherever you'd put them, they would have been successful in the in planting churches. It, it just there's a right place and a right time, but but God can use some people to do more things than He can use others to do. Doesn't mean that's more important. Has nothing to do with importance. I watched it happen in Pauly's Island. You know, Chuck Murphy was the guy that, that God built this church up through through his work and his leadership. Well, that that was great, and it was a wonderful church. But then he brought me in to do pastoral care, and and it it immensely improved that church. So my job wasn't to lead that church. My job was to, to help improve it. It was to pastor people. And so it, it's important to take the gifts you've been given and use those and maximize them to the best of your ability. So it's important to know that God deals with each of us as individuals because he created us as individuals. But then he entrusts things to us for our safekeeping. But what do we do with that? The, the, the goal is to multiply it. Be fruitful and multiply is the first commandment. Not only were Adam and Eve given that commandment, so were we all. But we know something about the character of the master, and that is that he cared individually about his people. He knew about his people, and he invites them to enter into his joy. He commends them for jobs well done. He encourages them in the things that they do. So that's what we know about the character of this man, right? Now, now let's listen to this last guy. So the last guy, he also, who had received one talent, came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man. Do we have any evidence of that? I don't, I don't see it. I don't see any evidence that he's a hard man. Reaping where you didn't sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. I don't see this evidence. But there are many people who think of God in exactly that way. That, that he's punitive, that he's only judge, that he's not Savior, lover, Abba, Father. And so you get this idea that God's a hard man and that, that, that he is unfair. And so that's what we've got to get past is that idea about God. No, he loves us and he knows us and he treats us as individuals. And so he thought he could entrust this guy with one thing. Right. I mean, he knew this guy's capabilities and his capacity were not all that great. So he only gave him one talent to deal with. And what did he do? Well, he blew it with that. The master answered, you wicked and slothful servant, you lazy. You know what? You knew that I reap where I haven't sown and gather where I scattered no seed. He's not agreeing to that. What he's saying is, oh, this is what you knew. You knew that, did you? It's the same as the elder brother in the parable of the prodigal son, because He's, he says, you know, look, the, I, I've never even been given so, so much as a goat to have a party with my, ch- my friends. And here this one who has who's treated you like dirt comes back and you kill the fatted calf. He, I've always been with you. I've worked with you. I've labored for you. He didn't know the character of the father in the same way the prodigal son did know the character of the father. I know that he's better than the guy that I'm serving now. I'll go and offer myself as his servant. Even he didn't know the full character of the father who greets him and brings him in as a son. Here, this guy says, I know what kind of man you are. I mean, how disrespectful can you be? And it's not that the man's agreeing with him. He says, this is what you knew. 
Okay. Well, if you knew that, then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. At least you could have done that. Why would you go out and bury it? I wasn't going to lose it if you invested it with the bankers. I would have gotten the interest back. So take the talent from him and give it to one who has 10 talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he'll have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken. And cast this worthless servant into the outer darkness. In their place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So while we are in the, in the covenant by grace, we have a responsibility to do something with what we've been given, our gifts and talents, and to maximize their value to the best of our ability. We can't, we can't measure the way that it's going to, the return that'll be on the investment of our time and talents. We, we can't measure the return of that. Our job is only to invest them, not to keep them and hide them, not to hold them back from the world, not to sequester ourselves into little Christian communities where we don't have any contact with the outside world. No, we're intended not only to be prepared for the coming of Christ, we're, prepared, we're also intended to be fruitful and multiply in whatever way we can possibly do that. Paul continues his argument in this Romans passage by, by talking about how do we, you know, how do we, how do we think about the Jews, who are the, the primary covenant people? How do we, how do we think about them? And, and now he says, now I'm speaking to you Gentiles, inasmuch then as I'm an apostle to the Gentiles. Look, here's the deal, because he, he's already said God, God did this so that He would make the Jews jealous by the inclusion of Gentiles. He says, so because I'm an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous. In other words, I make a big deal out of my ministry. I really do. I make a big deal out of it. I, I do everything that I possibly can in order that they would become jealous and thus save some of them. They would want the same thing you guys are getting. They would see it that way. But too many people see God as this taskmaster who they can't possibly please. They don't understand that their position is you're already acceptable to God if you believe in his son. You are already acceptable. Now get out there and just work. Just do. Use your gifts and talents for the spread of the kingdom. Do it with joy. Because that's what you are, is you are recipients of grace. Now go make the most of that grace. So he says, for if their rejection, the Jews, means the reconciliation of the world, what would their acceptance mean but life from the dead? Paul's trying to bring in the kingdom by bringing in the Jews, by reaching the Gentiles. So he says, a secondary, a secondary motive that I have for going to the Gentiles is to make my own people jealous so that they'll want what you have. They'll see it in you. They'll see in you what he intended for them, and they'll want it enough to come get it and to believe. He said, if the dough offered its first fruits is holy, that would be the Jews, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. But if some of the branches were broken off, and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted among the others and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, don't be arrogant toward the branches. So your attitude towards the Jews needs not to be one of arrogance. He said, because you know, it's like the old Bill Cosby thing about when he gets mad at his son. He says, look, I brought you into this world. I can take you out of it. And it's the same thing Paul's argument is here. He says, don't be arrogant toward the branches, and the branches are the Jews. If you are, remember, it's not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. And the root is Jewish because, well, Jesus was a Jew. I mean, he came to be, he came to reach the, the lost sheep of Israel. And now Paul sent to reach the world. It, it, then, then you'll say, he says, if you remember that, that you don't nourish the root, the root nourishes you, then you'll say branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. That's true, 
They were broken off because of their unbelief, but you stand fast through faith. That's who you need to be, those who stand fast by faith. So don't become proud, but fear. For if God didn't spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. I mean, what Paul's saying is, is be careful here. Don't take anything for granted. You can't take anything for granted, he's saying, because it, 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 that's what they did. They took for granted that they were all in the covenant of eternal life, and they're not. He says, so don't you become like that. And that's his word of warning here is don't become like that. Don't take anything for granted. Let grace be grace always, beginning to end. But, but, but let it be nothing less than grace. He says, now note that the kindness, then the kindness and the severity of God, severity towards those who've fallen, but God's kindness to you provided you continue in his kindness, which is exactly the argument that the men make to Rahab. We will be kind to you so long as you're faithful to the promise you made. And that's exactly what Paul's saying, is is that you don't get in by default just because you one time made a profession of faith. No, continue in his kindness. So continue to, to put yourself at the foot of the cross and receive grace, knowing that you don't deserve grace because grace isn't grace if you've done something to deserve it he says otherwise you too will be cut off and he doesn't love you more than he loves the jews he says you know if if you act the way they did you'll be cut off just like they are he says even then they if they don't continue in their unbelief will be grafted in for god has the power to graft them in again so if they if they turn if they repent of their hard-heartedness and their unbelief. He says, God, it's no big deal for God to graft them back in at all. For if you were cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted, contrary to nature, into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? We, we need not ever take anything for granted, and we always need to remember who God is. We need to remember God's character. And we need to remember that how much he loves his son. And if we're in his son, then he loves us in the same way he loves Jesus. But we don't ever take that for granted. We don't ever take that for granted. We continue to live at the foot of the cross. Because it's only by grace that we enter. But we can never take grace for granted. Grace is a principle. It's not possible. We need to always persevere in the knowledge that we're in need of grace. We never outgrow it, no matter what we do, how useful we are to the kingdom. None of those things make us fit for the kingdom. It's always and only grace, and we're always in need of grace because we continue in sin so long as we continue in these mortal bodies. And so if we continue to the extent we continue in any sin at all, then we need to throw ourselves back on grace and pursue him with all our hearts.